Well, thank you very much, and praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to be back to Bendale. I don't need to revisit what I talked to you about back in September, but when I come back into this neck of the woods, it's, it's my roots, it's my beginnings. Long ago, I preached revivals all across George, Jackson, Harrison, Greene counties, and to come back to Bendale and to be with this church is a privilege, and to close out my year of preaching and teaching here is a, a special honor to me. You're such a beautiful people. I have my wife with me today, and I'm glad that she's here. One good brother said, she's here, you'll have to behave. I says, absolutely not. No. She's a wonderful lady, and I miss her when she isn't with me. And I told her when I were with you in September, when I drove back in to where we live, about how impressed that I was with this church and its leadership. So I told him this is a beautiful congregation. And I give honor to Pastor and Sister Moore. It's nice to see you both again. Thank you to the service worship leaders. Thank you very much for your music and the intensity of your songs. That means so much. Perhaps I said this when I was here earlier, and I'm not saying it with any sense of glee, but I go to a lot of churches all across America and beyond every year, and too many churches that I go to, I have no clue what they're singing. I don't even know the words. I can't get my foot and my hands in time together with the new beat that is becoming popular in a lot of Pentecostal churches. And come in here today and hear the old standard, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What a privilege to hear those old songs again. There's a church that I go to occasionally. They let me know that when it's my weekend to be there, they get the old song books out. And they've told me, Brother Odom is here. Let's sing the old ones. So maybe I've got a little more influence than what I thought I had. Good morning, everybody. Let's make welcome our pastor and his wife. Let's give them a rousing hand of applause. Appreciate the leadership. We'll go right to work with the Bible lesson for the morning. Please open your Bibles to the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 3. This is one of the less frequent preached from, uh, preached from books of the entire Bible. Ezra was a part of the great uh, exodus in the nation of Israel after they had been in exile for 70 years. I'll be talking about that. Key players in the rebuilding of destroyed Jerusalem were people like Nehemiah, who rebuilt the destroyed walls in 52 days. Then there was Zerubbabel, the son of one named Joshedek, who laid the foundation of the second temple. Then there was Haggai, the old prophet, that held what I call street services in rebuilding Jerusalem, and then there was Ezra, who was both priest and prophet that restored the word of God to a people that had not heard of the things of the law for 70 plus years. 
The text that I read to you today is very dear to me, and it's one that I need to be preaching all over the country. We're going through transitions in the apostolic movement. And if you deny that, you really need to slow your life down and take another close look. Things that once was preached against is now tolerated. Lifestyles that was once rejectionable, they're now embraced. Doctrines that once had no place in an apostolic church are now being shared as possible biblical doctrines. And as an old preacher, and I am one, I hope that my voice is not just the voice of an old man remembering the past. But I believe that God is sending Sister Odom and I across America into the apostolic church families to call us back to our roots and what brought us to where we are today. Ezra chapter 3, I begin at verse number 10. Now, let me draw the picture again. Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Jerusalem, laid it waste, burned everything to the ground, including that beautiful, beautiful monument called the Hekal, the temple that Solomon had built. Never was there a more magnificent building built than that temple. And the people of Israel were chained together like animals, and they were forced to march across what we now know as parts of Asia into the land of Babylon, and for 70 years, they lived in a Babylonian culture. They were forced to worship the Babylonian gods. They were forced to dress in Babylonian styles and fashions. Their minds were recycled. Their thought patterns were reprogrammed. And 70 years after the recycling and the reprogramming of Israelites, God let Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, Haggai, and Ezra be the name leaders that took them back to their destroyed land and city of Jerusalem. The text that I read to you is a very important text. It's the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple, and it's known as the second temple. Verse 10, Ezra chapter 3. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by chorus. And would you say, by chorus? So let me read it to you what the translators say. And they sang together in beautiful harmony, in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Verse 12. 
But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men, that had seen the first house or Solomon's temple or the Hekal of God or God's palace, that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house of the second temple was laid before their eyes, these ancient men wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. Verse 13, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. Are you talking about a moment of a mixed bag of tricks and emotions running rampant? This defines it like no other reading in the Bible. I want to first of all be very clear with you that I do not blame this younger set of Israelites for shouting with such joy. It was not their fault that they had never seen the first temple. It was not their fault that they had never been a part of those old-fashioned temple-type sacrificial services. All they knew was being reprogrammed. Their mind, like a computer, was rebooted. And for 70 years, they were forced by law to dress like the Babylons. They learned the Babylonian language and dialects. They practically forgot their home native language of Hebrew or Yiddish. And when they got back to the land that once was reputed to flow with milk and with honey, what a reason to shout. They'd never seen anything like this. So first of all, to the people that are here today that are younger than me, we really do need your enthusiasm. We need your extravagance of expressions of praising God. But you need us old ones too. Because we remember what it used to be like. And all we're going to try to do is to help you not to drift too far away from the way it really needs to be. Praise the Lord, everybody. Usually my introductions are not that long. My introduction today is almost as long as my sermon. Oh, no, not quite. Not quite. So turn around and shake hands with two or three people and say, I feel like I'm in for a long one. And with that, you may be seated. Now, don't take it too far. Come on now. You may be seated. So allow me to repeat some things that needs to be said that I've already said. It was over 70 years ago that Nebuchadnezzar had laid siege around that beautiful city of David. The city of David was known different, with different titles and acclamations. It was known as Mount Zion. It was known as the Holy House, the Holy Mountain, the Holy Hill. But geographically, it was known as Jerusalem. When Nebuchadnezzar attacked Israel, 
Israel was quite a formidable military force, and the great army of the Babylonians could not quite break the back of the military of Israel. So they just built a siege around the city, and little by little, slowly, they broke the will of Israel to survive by starving them out, thirsting them out, until finally, after a siege that lasted for well over two years, Israel finally raised the white flag of surrender. And when Nebuchadnezzar entered into now his latest subject, the city of Jerusalem, everything had to go. Beautiful mansions had to be destroyed. The shanties and the shacks on the other side of the proverbial tracks had to be destroyed. Shopping centers and shopping malls, upscale subdivisions and low-scale subdivisions, everything had to be demolished. But the prize was the building in the Hebrew that is known, the Hekel, the palace of God that Solomon had built well over 400 years ago. What a magnificent building that really was. But when Nebuchadnezzar brought in his demolition group, brick at a time, stone at a time, piece of timber at a time, he demolished that beautiful palace of God. But before he destroyed it, he took from it the holy vessels and everything that was worth of any value to it. And if you're interested in what this building was worth on today's precious metals market, just the silver and just the gold that was in God's palace, the temple that Solomon built, the Hebrew, he cal. On today's monetary market, over $250 billion of nothing but silver and gold. And before the building was demolished, Nebuchadnezzar raped that building as if he was a religious pervert. And the precious things of God that were anointed and was sacred, was taken captivity back to Babylon. Time is not my friend to mention all the furnishings, but I'll headline a few. The altar of incense, or the altar of praise, was destroyed. The beautiful golden candlesticks were taken away. The table of shoe bread was taken away. In the outer court, the brazen altar was level flat. In the outer court, the brazen lava was level flat. But when Nebuchadnezzar and or his assistants entered into the Shekinah, or behind the veil, where the glory of all glories of God dwelt and prevailed, Therein was the Ark of the Testimony, more commonly called in Pentecost, as the Ark of the Covenant. That was a prize. 
without any respect of what this represented, Nebuchadnezzar opened it. And when he opened it, there was three important pieces of historical memorabilia that belong in the annals of Hebrew history. There was the budding rod. There was the table of stone. There was the helping of manna. All three of these things were vitally important in the lineage and ancestry and history of Israel. The budding rod represented the miracles that God would give to Israel. The table of stone represented God's word that was given to Israel. And the helping of manna represented God's daily providence or providing for the people of Israel. And these precious pieces of furniture, among many other things, were looted and loaded and carried off in captivity into a land that knew not Jehovah, that knew not the law of Moses, that knew not of the great prophets and seers of the chronological order of Israel, and now being chained and roped together as if there were nothing but a herd of animals, literally hundreds of thousands of Hebrews or Jews were tied together and forced to walk hundreds of miles in abstract weather circumstances. While I don't have any documentary to show this, Bible scholars have taught me that literally tens of thousands of the Jews perished on their trip into exile, and graves and corpses littered the way. And this all happened because of spiritual failure on the part of the Israelites. They had turned their back against God. They embraced foreign gods from foreign nations. And they pulled together various religious rites and tried to make it all blend together. And without me offending anyone with this general statement, Israel just became one big, great, charismatic nation. Come like you are, live like you want, worship the way you feel. Don't come if you don't want to come because they had kind of matured. And those old laws of Moses were now old-fashioned, non-effect, and didn't apply anymore. But because of their spiritual failure, because of their religious failure, because of their moral failure, because of family failures, they were tied, chained together, and herded into a land called Babylon. And you must hear me as I repeat this for the third time. They were recycled. They were reprogrammed. They were taught to worship a God whose name you spell B-E-L, Bel, the great almighty God of Nebuchadnezzar and all of the Babylonians. They were taken completely away from the laws of Moses and they were taught a better way. And they were taught a better religion. Not only were they taught a better religion, but then they were forced 
to look like the Babylonians. They were forced to talk like the Babylonians. It was 70 years of Babylonian catechism. Day after day after day after day, Jehovah was never mentioned. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, the law, Jehovah, the El Shaddai of Abraham was never mentioned until after a couple of generations of this. The only real God was Baal, the mighty God of the Babylonians. After 70 years living in this exilic condition, he was nothing but a chamberlain. He was nothing but a cupbearer. And never would you come into the presence of the great king of the Medes and the Persians without a smile and a joyful spirit. But Nehemiah broke the protocol and he entered into the presence of the king with a sad countenance. But because of his faithfulness and his trustworthy, the, the king interrogated Nehemiah. What is wrong with you, Nehemiah? And the story begins to unfold. My home city is nothing but the ruins and rubbles of fire and devastation, and I want to go home. That became a contagious spirit. Men like Ezra, men like Haggai, men like Zerubbabel said, let us go back and rebuild our walls, rebuild our city, rebuild our lives, and rebuild a palace for God. Interesting enough, the king gave them leave and allowed them to go back to their homeland. Little by little, surely very slowly, Jerusalem began to take semblance one more time of a brand new rebuilt city. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls daily, this old preacher from his book I read today, Ezra would rehearse the law of Moses and the commandments before the people. One particular day, the Bible will verify that the people stood for eight hours and Ezra either read from the law or he expostulated and he explained the law and after eight hours of standing at strict attention of hearing the word of God, the people would shout with praise and thanksgiving that they had come back to their destroyed land. I'm very unfortunate to tell you today that we are a generation that is fulfilling a prophecy that gives me no joy to tell you, but we are living in a generation of a great famine, not a famine of bread, not a famine of water, but a famine of hearing the word of God. I've already complimented your music, and I meant it. I've already complimented your singing, and I meant it. But make no mistake about it, that you and I are begotten by the word of God. It was Jesus that said that heaven will pass, earth will pass, 
but my word will never pass away. A writer wrote it poetically, and it goes like this. Thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why are we as Americans so shocked at the drift of our American society? There's more sin, there's more violence, there's more antichrist ever in today's American society. But long, long ago, the Bible was taken out of public schools. Long, long ago, public prayer to Jesus Christ was ruled as non-constitutional. Bear with me as I give you my personal political views. They may continue to fight the Bible, and they may continue to fight the name that is above every name, and they may continue to fight the things of God, but I've come for a very special and important announcement to make to the headquarters of hell. You will not defeat him. Jesus Christ is still the all-conquering and the almighty God. Disavow his word if you want to, but his word will stand forever and forever. You five that are standing, clap your hands mightily unto the Lord. And when the day came for the laying of the foundation of the second house, the second temple, the Zerubbabel temple, it was not the original, but they had in their mind enough memory of the blueprint and the floor plan that they could build at least a similar replica of what the original palace of God looked like. Let me take you back to the year of 963 B.C. It's the two weeks of dedicatorial ceremonies led by King Solomon when God's palace was finished. It was 14 days of around-the-clock celebrations and dedication of this magnificent house and I've already told you on today's precious metals, commodities, over $250 billion of just silver and gold was in it. For 14 days when this building was being dedicated, there were orchestras throughout the city. There were symphonies throughout the cities. Choirs were everywhere. Singers were everywhere. Musicians were everywhere. 14 days of unparalleled revival in the city of Jerusalem and throughout the host and the coast of the land of Israel. Something over 250,000 animals were slain in those 14 days of celebration. Among those was 122,000 sheep, over 20,000 oxen, and the Bible declares that there were so many sacrifices that the altar was not large enough to receive the great sacrifices that was on the altar. 
Don't get your calculator out and question me on this one. I've already done the blood math, and trust me, I'm right on this one. Because 122,000 sheep were slain, and something like 20,000 oxen were slain, that equates to something around 500,000 gallons of animal blood that was spilled. 14 days of celebration, 14 days of jubilee. The altar was not big enough. Orchestras blaring in harmony, symphonies everywhere, mass choirs everywhere. It was obviously the high water mark in the nation of Israel. But less than 400 years later, that he cow and all of its wealth. And all of its glory was devastated and it was laid to waste. And now some 400 years later, those former exiles that looked and dressed like Babylonians, their accent and their dialect was of the Babylonian language, but they were at least back into the land of their fathers. And when the day came that Zerubbabel, the son of Joshedek, laid the foundation of the replica of the original. I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I can't hold it. I may look like I'm in command right here, but I got chill bumps running all over me. I'm not interested into something similar to the truth. I want the truth. I'm not interested in a replica of the original. I want the original. Seemed like I touched the nerve that time. Let's all clap our hands. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. Hallelujah. I don't have, I don't have the pulpit talent. I don't have the pulpit skill to be able to singularly tell you how it sounded when the foundation of the second house was being laid. But the young men that all they knew were Babylon, all they knew was idolatry. All they knew was Baal, God, ritualism. They'd never been in a real old-fashioned Hebrew worship service. All they knew was, man, I've never seen nothing like this. And suddenly the young men of the great crowd begin to shout with such exuberance and such enthusiasm that they just fill the entire community. But the old men that were called the ancient men, when they saw the laying of the foundation of the second house, and they saw the exuberance and heard the excitement of the young men that had never had an old-fashioned, watch me now, Pentecostal revival. They'd never seen the blind eyes open. They'd never seen the deaf ears unstopped. They'd never seen demons cast out and sent right back to hell where they came from. 
This was a high water mark for them. So all they knew was to seize the moment and let's have an old fashioned church service the best that we can. But when those old men remembered, they wept with a loud voice. I know when I was here back the last time I brought my old book with me then, but I bring it back with me today. This is the Bible that I first started preaching from in the year of 1965. This old book has been with me at the altar. This old book has been with me in the prayer room. This old book has spent the night with me under my pillow. This old book has been with me when I was sick and the doctor didn't have the answer. This old book was with me 28 years ago when sis and I lost Amanda. But I found in this old book a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Just get a good look at this old book. I have brought with me, though, my latest Bible that was given to me by one of my sons in the ministry. I used his name to you this morning, Brother Pastor, Brother Wade Townley, who pastors in Brewer, Maine. I was his pulpit guest back in late October and early November, and he presented me with my newest Bible. And this is the Bible I carry with me, and I preach from it. This old book that is called the Bible, I know this one is worn. What y'all standing up for? You think I'm going to preach short if you stand up? Go ahead and relax, man. I'm going I'm to earn my money today, all right? Come on, stand back up with me one more time, big man. Clap your hands unto the Lord. This old book has been with me when the devil had the advantage. This old book has been with me as a young pastor. I didn't have the answers. But I found out not just this book, but I found out the God of this book who will never leave us nor forsake us. Now here I am fast forwarding time 55 years later and I've got my latest preaching Bible. So here I want to do it this way. It's still the same book. It is still the same doctrine. It is still the same holiness. It is still the same revelation. It is still the same of repentance. It is still the same of water baptism in Jesus' name. It is still the same, the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is still the same. We rise up against Pentecostal ritualism. We rise up against Pentecostal ceremony. We rise up against Pentecostal formality. And I promise the young people that are here with me today, if you don't think I'm picking on you, which I am not, listen to these old prayer warriors. They're going to pray us back to the upper room. They're going to pray. Come on, young men on the front row. You three, clap your hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Young people, both young men and young ladies, 
You have no reason to give me your unconditional confidence and believe in what I'm going to say to you. But step out by faith and trust me. I feel like that there's a calling back to the New Testament church. We've experimented with worldliness and worldliness will not work. We've experimented in trying to find a way to accept Trinitarianism, but Trinitarianism will not work. We've experimented to try to make a person saved without water baptism in Jesus' name, but it won't work. It still takes one Lord. It still takes one faith. It still takes one baptism. One God who was above all and through all and in you all. And because some of you live and dwell forever in either George or Jackson County and you call Bendale home, I would not even want some of you to go to some places that I go. And I don't come to cast a stone of judgment at them, but I've come to enlighten you that if it was not for the word Pentecost on their church sign, I would have no clue that I was even in a Pentecostal church the feeling is not there the faith is not there the power of God is not there we've turned our music over to charismatic sounding songs that are meaningless that has no message to it but I would call for this church let's sing the old song that was sung today it still takes the blood of Jesus Christ more places than I want to admit, I go and preach and I don't get this kind of quick public response. They look at me like I'm from another planet. They haven't heard anybody preach like me maybe forever. For sure in the last 30, 40, or 50 years, consequently we've learned to come to church and have our Sunday morning Pentecostal mass. <laughs> our Sunday morning Pentecostal mass and we call it old-fashioned religion. I'm going to tell you what we need in Pentecost. We need to get out of the way. Let Jesus be the way and stop <laughs> quenching the Holy Spirit of God. You're being seated while I preach. It's almost as if we need permission before we clap our hands anymore. It's almost as if we need permission before we stand and do it again, big brother. Stand, would you, big brother, and wave that. Yeah, we almost need permission to do that because we've, we've kind of taken church like Babylon's. We've been rebooted. We've been reprogrammed. We've been recycled. But I hear echoing in my heart today where Jesus said that the Father is looking for a people that will worship him in spirit and in truth and if you're here today and you hear my sermon don't let my voice become a reverb across the peaks of your life but you hear me if you need permission then as an ordained bishop of the gospel of Jesus Christ
Christ, I give you full authority and I give you complete permission. Clap your hands, oh ye people. I give you complete permission. Shout unto the Lord with a great voice of triumph. I give you permission. Leap for joy. I give you permission. Dance mightily before the name of the Lord. You know, I love everybody, especially Bendale, because that's where I'm preaching right now. But I feel like some of you folks are cynically analyzing me, and you're cynically saying under your breath, I think all he's trying to do is to get us worked up just a little bit. Well, let me respond, Brother Cynical and Sister Cynical. You got that right. I'm so sick and tired of dead Pentecost. I'm sick and tired of dead pulpits. I'm sick and tired of dry baptistries. I'm sick and tired of empty altars. Let's go back to what God has afforded us to have. Be seated, please. And there was a mixed audience. Suddenly there was two sounds being heard. Young people, young men, shouting with great shouts of joy. But the old men, Bible calls them the ancient men. You could hear their mourns, their wails. And if you listen real closely... You couldn't discern the difference between the shouts of joy and the mourning of those that remembered God's original palace that took 14 days to dedicate. 142,000 animals sacrificed. 500,000 quarts of animal blood. Orchestras. Symphonies. Mass choirs, 14 days of jubilation, and they remembered it, and they cried and wept when they reflected on the past. Now I'm going to perhaps make enemies out of the old people that are here. Bear with me, but I don't believe older folks that we're going to be the ones that's going to pick up the torch and take us back to Pentecost. Stand up again, three young men. Stand up again, young ladies right here. Come on, unmarried, that's what I want. I believe you're looking at the ones that's going to say, I've read in the book of Acts. I believe it's going to be the young people that's going to say, I've heard the old timers talk. He Hallelujah. I believe with all of my heart it's going to be men like you and young ladies like you that God is going to stir up the Holy Ghost in you. 
I'm well aware of the fact that my age and my years in the ministry don't, young people, you can please remain standing. I, I know, I've been around a while. It's pretty popular that Pentecost, excuse my southern ease, Pentecost ain't what it used to be. Pentecost is going to hell. Okay, that's fine if you want to buy into that. But I've come to present to you today a church without spot and a church without wrinkle. And if you think the New Testament church is backslid, then you don't believe what Jesus said. For Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to be on my church. And if it takes young girls and if it takes young men, this church is not going to be defeated by all hell, by every demon of hell, and by the Antichrist spirit itself. Everybody's being seated but the young people. I believe that God is going to raise up among the youth of this, this generation's Pentecost. They're going to say, well, if holiness is right, then we want holiness living. Every young girl is not going to compromise her hair. Every young girl is not going to compromise her face. Every young girl is not going to compromise her modesty. Every young girl is not going to compromise her virtue. There's going to be some young ladies that's going to live for God, come hell or come high water. There's going to be some young men that will say, my heroes don't play in the NBA. My heroes don't play in the NFL. My heroes don't play college football. But my heroes is found in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know I teach homiletics. I'm not supposed to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. But man, I've got some hallelujahs in me right now. And if you're worried about my hallelujahs, well, if you'll come hold these mules, I'll show you how to shout. Hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the day the Lord has made. The church is not going to hell in a handbasket. Come on, little sister. Men, you'll shout if nobody else shouts. And you all may be seated. Unfortunately, we have entered into a generation that too many are content with a replica. It's similar to old-fashioned Pentecost. It kind of reminds you of the upper room. You know, if you listen, you'd kind of get the feeling like, well, maybe there's a touch of apostolic power there and and so we come to church and we sip the good blessings of God. 
from my goblets of Laodicea. And we're fat and fine. We're rich and increased with goods. And as the Laodiceans, we have need of nothing. But I can hear my Jesus knocking on Laodicea's door. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. Young girls, don't you be satisfied with just the status quo. Young men, don't you be satisfied with just the protocol. Trace your ancestry all the way back to the book of Acts chapter 2. Rattle your ancestry chain all the way back to the upper room. Your ancestors of those that came spilling out of the upper room, staggering around like they were full of new wine. But Simon says, oh no, they're not drunk as ye suppose. But this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. I've come to tell you, get ready America. God's about to show out. Get ready Pentecost. God's about to show out. I felt that come right back to me. I felt some resistance when I said that. Are you trusting in the District of Columbia? Are you trusting in the political schemes of our nation? Are you trusting in the powers of kings and queens and provinces? I come to shatter you real quick. The hope of the future is in an old-fashioned church that loves God, that loves this trouble. You are in trouble today because I got 42 pages and I'm on page three. Oh, just leave me alone. Hallelujah. 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 Well, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Gonna say it because the devil said don't say it. There's healing in the house right now. Hallelujah. Sit down. Gonna say it because the devil don't want to say it. There's deliverance right now in the house. Gonna say it because the devil don't want me to say it. The devil can't have your marriage and the devil can't have your children. And somebody ought to jump up and say, That's me. Hallelujah. I got good news and bad news for you. The good news is church starts at six. The bad news is I'm preaching again. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus 
than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led. By his nail, pierced hands. Young men come here, all unmarried men come here, all unmarried girls come here. Are to be a king of a vast domain. So, Stodom, I'm glad you're with me. Look at this group of beautiful little Pentecostal ladies. I want you to come. Sister Pastor's wife, I'm going to let my wife help me right now. Would you come? And I want them to just, just walk in amongst them. That's all I want you to do. I want them to get a good look of what Pentecost is all about. What Pentecost? Come on. Let them see you, Sister Odom. Hallelujah. You know why we have so many Pentecostal young people that's on the fence right now? Because my generation let them get there. Come on, Sister Odom, you and Sister Moore, walk among those girls. I want you to touch every one of them. Hug their necks. That's it. Pray for them. Talk in tongues over them. Hallelujah. Come up here, young brother song leader. I just need some hands on these young men right here. Walk among them right there. Talk in tongues among them. Is this your son up here? Is this your grandson? Is this your daughter up here or is this your granddaughter? Come find your daughter. Come find your granddaughter. Come find your son. Come find your grandson. I will announce to this church that the great awakening in Pentecost is going to come from these praying, godly, Holy Ghost filled young people. Come find your children. Bring your babies to the front. Don't sit back there. If you have them in your arms, bring them with you. Everybody's falling out of your chairs. Everybody's working your way to the front. Come on, men. Come on ladies everybody's coming
Let's have a family prayer meeting. Brother, go find a brother. Come on, brother, go find a brother. Sister, go find a sister. Come on, lock up. Sister to sister, brother with brother. Family prayer meeting at Bendale. Family prayer meeting at Bendale. Now let's greet one another. Brother, love each other. Let's greet one another. Sisters, love each other. There's a coming together. There's a bonding together. Come on, sisters. Don't wait for someone to come to you. Come on, brother. Don't wait for someone to come to you. Go and make yourself a friend in love with your brother and sister. I want to talk to you before I give the pulpit back to our pastor. Give me just a few more minutes with you. i got some very important things to say, and you need to make footnotes of this if you're keeping minutes on my sermon. When Jacob came down to Israel, was given to him the land of Goshen. 
It was the most beautiful parcel of property in all of Egypt. And they lived in opulence and wealth. Jacob died, was taken back to Canaan's land for his official burial and funeral. The tribes of Israel remained in Goshen. But in time to come, that generation passed away. And the one man that made it all possible was Jacob's 11th son, Joseph. And when Joseph passed away, the Bible says, And there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And what was once opulence and unimaginable wealth and pleasure and leisure on the part of the Hebrews became nothing but filth and squalor and ghetto and slavery because somebody forgot Joseph. Remember when the people of Israel crossed the river of Jordan? God told Joshua, Choose you out twelve men, one man from each tribe. Let each man pick up one stone and heap these twelve stones together at a place called Gilgal. And in generations to come, when your children shall ask you what meaneth these stones, tell them, right here is where we crossed over. It was his last few minutes with his hand-picked disciples. Jesus knew that his life was ticking away. And by tomorrow, he'd be on a cross and be sacrificed. But when he gathered that group of men around him, he said, take and drink ye this. This is my blood that was shed for you. Take and eat this. This is my body that was broken for you. And then Jesus said, as often as you do this, Remember me. Remember me. And I fear, Brother Pastor, that we've just simply erased things from our memory that we need to try to rediscover one more time. Come on, young people, I'm counting on you. Lead us to revival. Come on, young men, I'm counting on you. If nobody else is in the prayer room, get yourself in that prayer room. If nobody is going to shout, well, bless Gussie, they can sit there if they want to, but I'm going to shout. Is bless Gussie okay at Bendale? Well, it is now. It is now. Come on, what I'm saying, young people, if us old folks want to sit back and say, well, I got, I got arthritis, I got, uh, get up and lead us. Get up and shout. Get up and show us the way. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Don't let it die. Don't let it die. Don't let it die. Let it live. Let it live. Let it live. Come on, come on, clap your hands. Somebody shout. Somebody shout. Somebody shout. Anybody enjoy the bishop this morning? Did you feel any old stirrings? I want to stir up. Some old hungers and desires. God, we want it your way. It's there. Let's get it. Let's get a hold of it. Let's don't let it slip by. I'm glad he's going to be with us tonight. Come back tonight, 5.30 prayer time, 6 o'clock service time. Expect a great visitation of the Lord.
and the moving of the Holy Ghost. Come expecting. Come, come expecting. God's got an expected end for us. And if we'll come expecting, you know what? We can meet that plateau tonight in this service. Okay? Love you. Appreciate you. God bless you.